listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. This morning we're going to be on Luke chapter 3. Um, I, I don't have anything for the box, um, but I'm going to ask um, Abigail if she would put something in the box next week. You good? Yes. I mean, welcome back to Maine, right? The family that takes up a whole row is back. It's awesome, right? So... <laughs> We are, we are going to begin now um, our walk through uh, Luke chapter 3, and my, my plan uh, was to do Luke chapter 3 verses 1 to 20 or 1 to 22, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, that, that's not going to happen. Um, we're, going to, we're going to spend our time um, in the first six verses. Um, but if you think back to, to last week, um, we talked about Jesus um, in the temple um, his parents, remember, had, had lost the Messiah, and um, were a little bit stressed out over that. Um, but after three days, they find Jesus um, in the temple. Um, he's interacting and engaging with the teachers um, in the temple. He's listening to them. He's asking questions, and he showed this just amazing understanding um, of the things of his father, right, because he's in his father's house, and where else, where else would he be? Um, and that... Um, it was his goal and his purpose to, to be about his father's business and to please his father. And so Jesus had favor with God and with man. And then it seems like kind of almost abruptly, like Luke switches gears. And now all of a sudden we're, we're back to this, this guy, John the Baptist. Um, and that's very intentional, by the way. Um, but before I, I go much further, let, let me read for us uh, Luke chapter 3. Um, I'm just going to read the first six verses this morning. I won't read all uh, the first 20. Um, I'll just do the first six. Um, there are some fantastic names in here, so I may pause and stumble over some of the names. <laughs> um, but what we're going to see here this morning um, is, as we've seen so far in the book of Luke, um, is just the faithfulness of God to His promises. Um, so, but if you please stand with me for the reading of God's words, Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. And so this is um, Luke's telling under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes these words. He says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went in all, into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God's. 
Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you give your people to gather. <laughs> Lord, it's my prayer that we would never take uh, these times for granted. Um, Lord, that we would, do, we do, would indeed see them as, as a blessing. Lord, I thank you for the times of fellowship that have already taken place, the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been offered to you. And Lord, now we desire and long to hear from you and from your words. So I pray that you would give us ears to hear you and minds to understand what you're saying to us and hearts to be moved and respond to your word this morning. I pray for the words that I have written down on paper, Lord, that if it's not from you, that I wouldn't speak them. Lord, and if you bring things to my mind and to my heart, that I'd be faithful in speaking those words. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the gift of your words, and I pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs> so, so not surprisingly, um, we've seen this pattern in, in Luke. Um, Luke, uh, once again here, kind of presents and gives us the historical setting um, for uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, and, and by extension, the, the ministry of Jesus. So what he does is he takes John the Baptist, and he takes Jesus, and he positions them in the history of the worlds. So you know that these things really happened. This isn't made up. This isn't a fairy tale. These are true things that took place in the Middle East. And Luke introduces us to five, five men who served and who were ruling and reigning. Tiberius Caesar... Um, we have Pontius Pilate, um, who was the governor uh, of Judea. Um, we'll see Pontius Pilate again probably in a little over a year uh, when we get to Luke 23. There's Herod. That's Herod Antipas. Um, he's the Tetrarch of Galilee. Um, he's the son of Herod the Great, and you, we know Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one that had all the male children killed um, in Bethlehem when they were two years or younger because he was afraid of Jesus. That's Herod the Great. So Herod Antipas was his son. Um, his brother is Philip. It's actually Philip II. Um, but Herod, Herod Antipas was the Tetrarch of Galilee, um, and so he ruled over Jesus' hometown region. Um, we will see... Um, Herod again um, when we get to Luke 23. You have Philip II, who is the tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis. He's also the son of Herod the Great, and obviously he's the brother of Herod Antipas. And then we have Lysanias, who's the tetrarch of Abilene. And so what Luke does for us here is he says, here, here's some men that were in power at this, at this time, right? And, and there's a pecking order that he gives us here because you have Tiberius Caesar, and then under Tiberius Caesar would have been governors, right? And so there's where you have Pontius Pilate, and then under Pontius Pilate there would have been tetrarchs, right? So Herod Antipas, Philip II, and Lysanias. And so he shows you, he shows us that here were men that were ruling and reigning in the Roman Empire, and remember that the Roman Empire was seen as the entire world, right? That was, that was the known world, was the, was the Roman Empire. And so by listing these rulers, 
right? Luke is telling us and he's hinting at the fact that the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus is going to impact the entire world, right? And we know that's going to go way beyond the Roman Empire to actually the entire world, the entire globe. But he's giving us this historical setting, this, this political setting, if you will, of these events. And then he gives us the, the religious setting, if you will, right? Because this all happened in verse 2 during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas. Now, it's interesting um, that Ananias, he was actually the, the, the former high priest. Um, his his son-in-law was Caiaphas. But, but Ananias, he, he still, he maintained power and he maintained influence, even though he was a behind-the-scenes kind of guy, right? So he was kind of pulling strings, right? And he was probably using his, his son-in-law to, to accomplish things that he wanted to accomplish, right? It kind of, you, you kind of smell like maybe corruption just a little bit there, And we'll see him again in John, we'll see him, you see him rather, we're not going to see him again in Luke, but you read about him in John 18. And then you have Caiaphas, who was actually, he was actually the high priest, Um, but he was probably, he was tied very tightly to his father-in-law. And Caiaphas appears in Matthew chapter 26 in the the trial that Jesus undergoes with the the religious leaders um, happens in, in the house of Caiaphas. So all of these men, all seven of these men, uh, were in power in the late 20s A.D., so 28, 29 A.D. is when these events take place. So Luke wants us, wants us to know that these are real things that happened in real time in a real place. Because you remember, he's writing to Theophilus a very orderly and detailed account Right? He's not going to miss steps. He's going to make sure that we know and that Theophilus knows that this is indeed true. Well, then we get to the second part of verse 2 and verse 3, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, and this is John's God-given message. Right? We read that the Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, And that John went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And and I don't want us to miss something really kind of intriguing here. And and as many many times as I've read this passage, right, for years, I've I've missed this. Right, but but don't miss, right, I want to help you here. Right, that, that yes, this is the first time that God's word is going to be proclaimed by a prophet in about 450 years. Right? It's been since Malachi that this has happened. But God's word does not go to the powerful of the day. Whether they be political or religious. It doesn't go to Tiberius Caesar Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, Philip II, Lysanias, Annas, or Caiaphas. But it goes to this man, John, John the Baptist, who was, he was a man called by God, but John the Baptist 
was weird. He lived in the wilderness. He dressed in camel hair. And he ate locusts and honey. Like he's, he's, an, he's an odd, odd guy. And so the word of God comes to him. Not to the, the elite and, and the powerful. Those who were ruling the day. It made me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 29, through 29, right? When Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, a, to, bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He uses this odd guy living in the wilderness, dressed in camel hair, eating locusts and honey, to bring the word of God to his people. Now, this has been God's pattern throughout history. And you want to know what? That pattern continues to this day. God uses... Average, everyday, unassuming people to fulfill his purposes, to proclaim the gospel. So do not think for a moment that God cannot and does not want to use us. He does. And he will if we allow him to do that, if we don't resist him. So God has set apart John as, as, as a prophet one that was going to prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah. John was going to give knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins because of the, the mercy of God. That's, that was John's purpose, to prepare the way for Jesus. And God gave John the words that he was to speak which just tells us and tells those who were listening to him that he indeed was a prophet called by God to declare the word of God to his people. And all of this happens in, in the wilderness. Right? And it's easy for us sometimes to, to think, oh yeah, yeah, the wilderness, okay, yep, desolate, get it. Right? But, but if, we, if we think for just a moment... About this, this is why we're only doing six verses this morning. I found myself lingering, right? The Old Testament talks about the wilderness as being a desolate and cursed place. You can read in the book of Isaiah many, many different times and many different passages that speak to this, and the other prophets speak to this as well. Isaiah 13, 21 says, but wild animals will lie down there and their houses will be full of howling creatures. It's just this very kind of unsettling, dark, desolate, cursed place. You really don't want to be hanging out in the wilderness. But also, the Old Testament prophets also anticipated a day when, when that, that, that wilderness that was so desolate and cursed would be transformed by the power and the presence of God, that he would overcome the threats and the curse and the desolation of the wilderness, and he would bring blessing and flourishing and life. 
Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus, like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. They're longing for this day. And so John's message is in the wilderness. John's message is in this desolate, cursed place. But his message is a message of hope. That God is moving and that God is acting and he is going to bring blessing and he is going to bring flourishing. He's going to bring renewal and he's going to bring life. Right? So we can't miss even just the setting of where John is doing his ministry. Right? John is in the wilderness. He's on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around before they could enter into the promised land. Why? Because of their sin and rebellion against God's. And did you ever think about your own life? Your own life, specifically your own life before Christ. Did you ever think about the fact that you were in the wilderness It was desolate, it was cursed, you were under the wrath of God's. But that it was in that desolate, desperate place where God pursued you and He opened up your, your ears and your mind and, and your heart to be moved by the gospel. And so God saved you out of the wilderness of your sin. You ever think about that? Never, never lose sight of that. When you read your Bible and you read wilderness, you should stop and you should thank God for saving you from that wilderness by His grace. And so in obedience... We read that John the Baptist proclaims this God-given message. He's doing this in a location that would have been familiar to the Israelite people on the other side of the Jordan, that wilderness. They, they probably didn't want to like, think about that place, but that's where John was doing his ministry. It's symbolic of the 70 years of exile in, in Babylon. And the people find, found themselves separated from their gods. They were a sinful, rebellious people, a sinful and rebellious nation. They found themselves underneath the thumb of the Roman Empire. But yet God is going to begin to do a work in the wilderness. And He's going to call them to repent. He's going to call them to turn back to Him. What they need most of all is forgiveness, and that's not going to happen unless they repent. And so John is going to be calling them to repent. And his message, right, was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's a phrase that, that we can't just skip over. That phrase, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, is 
theologically loaded. And so we have to linger here this morning. That's why we're only doing six verses. We have to linger here. We have to understand what John was preaching and what John was proclaiming before we can understand how the crowds reacted to his message. Right? We have to understand his message right before we can get to verse 7 where he calls the people a brood of vipers. Right? John's not a PR guy. He's a PR nightmare. But we have to understand his message before that makes sense. So we're going to spend time focusing on three words, forgiveness, repentance, and baptism. And we're going to, we'll take them in that order. Forgiveness, right? To be free from guilt or punishment. There's a, there's a sense of being pardoned. Now, the, the focus of that word, the focus of that is, right, uh, on, uh, is on the guilt piece, the, the, the guilt of the sinner, not the, not the sin itself, right? Because the sinful act, you, you can't undo that. You can't unring the bell. But the guilt resulting from that sin can be removed, right? And, and we know, I so said, we have to be really careful here because we can't look at this and we can't take Jesus and put Jesus into this passage because Jesus isn't arrived yet. He, I mean, he has, but he hasn't. Right? So we have to be careful how we think through this, right? But, but the guilt resulting from sin can be removed. The sinner can be pardoned, and it's going to be Christ who's going to actually obliterate that guilt. He's going to deal with that once and for all, but that hasn't happened yet, Right? But when we start thinking about forgiveness and the prospect of being free from guilt and free from punishment and being pardoned, man, there is such great hope in that. Right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're sinful people. But there's forgiveness available to us. That's what makes passages like 1 John 1.9 so just powerful. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we, we linger sometimes on Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It, 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 it's power. It, it's hope-filled. It, it's, it's reassuring. So why would we not seek and ask for forgiveness, right? Why would we not, right? Because what, like, if we think about this, why do we seek forgiveness? Guilt, right? The Holy Spirit's work, right, in our hearts and in our minds to convict us of our sin. And there's, there's a, a guilt that comes with that sin, that we realize that we've sinned against God, that we've rebelled against Him, right? And, and Paul in Romans 7, right, wrestles with the reality of this, this battle with sin. He does the things he knows he shouldn't. He, sh he doesn't do the things he knows he should, right? And that, that's the battle of the Christian life. That's the reality of the struggle. But John is preaching a message regarding the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, now implied in that is you have to understand that you're, you're, you're in need of forgiveness, right? So, so when we start thinking about that, and when, and when John says in verse 7, you, you brood of vipers, what he's doing there is he's calling them basically sons of Satan. So there's a warning here. There's a warning for us. And it was a warning that John was giving to the people in the wilderness that don't let your hearts get too hardened. Don't let your hearts get callous towards your God. His ways, His demands that He has on our lives because we are, we are His children. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't have a low view of sin because you have a low view of sin. You have a low view of God's. It's a call to be a people who deals with our sin. And we're to see our sin first, see our sin as worst, and see, work on our sin the most. One's from my wife. But we know that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that because of Christ, we stand guilt-free, that we stand fully pardoned, fully forgiven. So John is imploring the people to be thinking about their need for forgiveness of their sins. Second word is repentance, right? And, and, and repentance is, is to turn. It, it's, a, it's, it's not a 90-degree turn. It's not a 160-degree uh, turn. It's a 180-degree turn. It's going the opposite direction, right? It's to turn from our, the way of thinking, our own selfish ways of thinking and living, to living for God. Right? That's what it means to repent in biblical language, it's to change one's attitude toward God that changes the way that we live. It changes our attitude, it changes our actions, it changes our thoughts and our words, our choices. That's, that's repentance. And so John is telling the people, you need forgiveness for your sins, and you want what? You need to repent. You need to turn 180 degrees the opposite direction. Your selfishness should be in your rearview mirror as you pursue God. Because up to this point, right, God is in their rearview mirror, so they need to bang a U-turn and go the opposite way so He's what they're driving towards. Right? It's to reorient the, the, this, the, their perspective on sin and God. It's to reorient their relationship with God, to for, forsake the sin and to, to repent and turn from their sin and to pursue God. They are to, to live differently, right? And the reality is, is that we all need to repent. Isaiah 55 verses 6 through 7 is, is, is helpful here. The prophet Isaiah wrote to seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord's. They may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
You see, it's, it's, a, it's a forsaking and it's a turn. It takes both. That's what repentance is. It's forsaking and it's turning. And it's not just an intellectual mind thing that we do. Right? Because you start doing that, then all of a sudden you feel remorseful for your sin, not because it was sin, but because maybe you got caught and it gets awkward. But you realize that sin is so offensive to God that He can't be in the presence of sin. And so you, you, you want to turn from it and run towards God. And, and it always happens with, in partnership with faith. Repentance and faith go together. See, because you can't have true faith in Christ, right, if you're not repenting. Because you're not understanding your sin and you're not understanding the gospel. You need both. God was using John to prepare the hearts of the people. Right? And repentance, right, is not this pre-salvation work that we take upon ourselves, that if we repent, then God's going to reward us by saving us. That's not repentance. That's works. Repentance is understanding that by God's grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we're going to recognize our sinful condition, we're going to recognize our sin, we're going to acknowledge our sin, we can know that we can't save ourselves, and we're going to turn to Christ who paid that sin debt and removes the guilt. That's repentance. It's a life lived with a sense of responsibility before a sovereign, all-powerful all-knowing God. And, and, and that's what John is calling these people to, is to turn from your sin. Turn from it. Forgiveness is available. Turn from your sin. Now, there's the passage that I, I want to go to. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 9, uh, 9 through 11. Paul, Paul writes these words. Um, Paul describes in this passage, in these verses, what true repentance is. Right? And we linger here because sometimes I think we, we get cute with what repentance actually is and what a lifestyle of repentance means. Paul fleshes this out for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. As it is, Paul writes, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness 
this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishments. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Okay? Think about it this way. So starting in verse, uh, verse, 10, verse 11, earnestness, right? Earnestness. You're, you're pursuing righteousness. You're pursuing the things and the ways of God's. There's vindication. This idea that, that you want to you clear yourself from, from, from the stigma of sin. You understand that you are sinful and that you wrestle with sin and you're going to battle sin all the days of your life until you meet Jesus, but you want to clear your name and you want to deal with your sin. You want to be vindicated. There's a sense of indignation, right? There's this righteous anger because you understand how, how gross sin is to God and how much he hates it and loathes it and despises it. There's a sense of fear. You, you, you fear God's judgments, there's this longing. You, want, you, you have a longing that, that the relationship with God would be restored. And you know to do that, you have to deal with your sin. You, you, have, you do this with zeal, right? With this, this pursuit of righteousness and this, this longing and desire for justice. And we know that all those are wrapped up in the gospel and in, in Christ. Right? But that's what it means to live a life of repentance, you're earnest, you desire vindication, you're, you're indignant towards your sin, you, you fear God's judgment, even though you know that you're saved by Christ and you're not going to experience that judgment, but His judgment is real, right? You respect the fact that He's a God that judges. You have a longing for your relationship to be restored and there's this zeal, and Paul says that you're innocent in this matter, right, and that a person who truly repents does so aggressively as they pursue holiness. May we be a people that pursues true repentance, that we take our sins seriously and we deal with our sin seriously. Third words, baptism. Now, we got to linger here. Um, this is not a, a, a baptism that, that produces forgiveness um, because there's no ritual that can do that. Okay, so we, we got to think... Eliminate that option off the shelf. Um, this is not, all right, this is not Christian baptism. Right, this is not believer's baptism. Remember, what is John doing? He's preparing the way. He's preparing the hearts of the people to hear from Christ and, do, and to hear the gospel and the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide. Right? Christian baptism, believer baptism, right, is that first step of obedience. Right? When a believer right, publicly professes their faith in Christ, that's not what's happening here. To be baptized by John, to have been baptized, you can't be baptized by him now, right? To have been baptized by John, right, was for an Israelite to acknowledge their sin 
which had separated them from God and cut them off from the covenant blessings of their gods. Right? John's baptism, it, it, it was unique to him right? and, and his prophetic office. Right? It was a call to a commitment to God. Right? It was that turning, right? that turning. So it was like this visible, I'm acknowledging my sin and I'm going to turn. I'm, I'm, I'm reaffirming my commitment to God. But in, in, on top of that, right, you're looking forward to the Messiah. Right? You're looking forward to the one whom is greater than John. Right? Because John can't tie his sandal. And there's someone greater coming. So you're dealing with your sin, you're re- reaffirming your commitment to God, and you're looking forward with anticipation to the salvation that is coming. Right? But you're living your life with a commitment and a hope in God and in the faithfulness of God. Right? God is using John to prepare the hearts of the people to receive Jesus and the salvation that only He offers. In order to to do that, you've got to prepare your hearts to hear from Him. And to prepare your hearts, you better be forgiving, asking for forgiveness for your sin and repenting and longing to see Him. That's what John is doing for the people. That's how God is using John. So we can think of it this way, that John's baptism... Was it was a baptism of promise almost? It was it was looking looking towards a a, a greater baptism, right? The baptism of, of the Holy Spirits, right? It points forward to a cleansing that comes to those who respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the salvation that only He can offer. That He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. This was a step for the people to get there. It wasn't the ultimate step, it was a step. The gospel is the ultimate step. Right, so if you spend time, um, see, we're doing Luke and Acts here back to back, and we'll be, we're going to be here for like six years, full disclosure. Because ha- I have to tie things, like I, I have to, otherwise, I have to. Acts 18 I'm starting in verse 24 through 19, verse 7. I I won't read all of it. Um, I won't read all of it. Acts 19 um, is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. Um, I can't wait to preach it in 10 years when we finally get there. (laughs) But Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24, there was a Jew named Apollos. Right? And he had been instructed, I'm, I'm skipping and I'm paraphrasing here, he had, been, he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord's, um, he was fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, right, ready for this, this is verse 27, no, 25, and verse 25, though he only knew the baptism of John. Right, so he only knew the baptism of preparing your hearts to receive, there's, there's, there's a, he's missing a piece. 
But this man, Apollos, was speaking boldly in the synagogue, but then there were two people, Priscilla and Aquila, who heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So you see what hope there is there? Like that on our journey of life, as we're growing in sanctification, right, we're going to have holes in our theology. We're going to have blind spots in our theology like Apollos. But praise God that there are people like Priscilla and Aquila who came alongside him and who taught him and said, hey, yes, but, boom. Like, and we all need that. We all need that. So like your GGCs are helpful in accomplishing that. The, the foundations classes are helpful in accomplishing that and coming alongside and helping us to think more biblically and theologically robust about our beliefs. But this man, Apollos, then was, was sent off, and he uh, continued to, to do great things. And he, in verse 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Right? Then you get to Acts 19, right? And, and, and Paul arrives on the scene, right? And there were disciples there. And Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, not, no, not even hurt. Ah, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, here's a gap in theology. And Paul says, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Okay, there's something. John's baptism was okay, but boy, it's been, it's been replaced. Right? And that's what Paul's going to say. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Right? Then we read it in verse 5 that on hearing this, the disciples were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Right? So believers' baptism replaces the baptism of, of John. It's pointing forward to, to a, a greater baptism. Right? So John's baptism right, for the church... Right, is now this beautiful public profession of a person's faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Does that help think through this a little bit? I hope it does. Right, that John's message was a message to prepare the people for Jesus. And then Luke gives us um, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and this is where we'll, we'll end this morning, <laughs> right? And just, just remembering, right, that, that Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before John the Baptist arrived on the scene. So if you don't think that God is in and through all of this, you're wrong. He is. Right, but Luke cites Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You see that John is preparing the people, and Isaiah 700 years before this was talking about someone who's going to be preparing the way for God's people. Right now, Isaiah 40, verses, it's actually verses 1 through 5, introduces the last part of the book of Isaiah, so chapters 40 through 66, 
And, and what the last part of Isaiah deals with, right, is the physical restoration of the people after Babylonian captivity and the spiritual restoration of the nation, right? And what Isaiah does in those last chapters of his book, right, is to encourage the people, exhort the people, call the people to wait on the Lord in faith because he is faithful and he is going to save his people. And so Luke very clearly understands that John the Baptist is this voice crying out in the wilderness that is preparing the way of the Lord's. Salvation is coming. The long-awaited Messiah is right around the corner. He's here. Prepare yourselves. Right, that, that the imagery of, of making paths straight, filling in valleys, leveling hills and mountains, straightening the crooked and smoothing out rough places. Listen, I started running again. Right? I want to run in a place that is that's straight, that there's no hills, <laughs> and it's smooth. That's in my wheelhouse. But it's talking about, it's not just the geography of the region, because all those things, right, the crooked paths and the, and the hills and the valleys and the mountains and the rough terrain, that, 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 that's the geography of the region. But it's so much more than that, because it's telling the people, this is what your life needs to look like. You've got to get rid of the sin. You've got to straighten out your ways. Stop climbing up this mountain of sin. Stop going down these deep, dark valleys. Renounce your pride, renounce your sin. There's forgiveness available. Repent. Be prepared for the coming of the God's salvation. Right? And it also makes me think about just how God removes obstacles. That God is removing obstacles for His people to hear from His one and only Son, to hear the salvation that only His Son can offer them. So John the Baptist is that voice that cries out in the wilderness. And the preparation of the Lord's ways and making the path straight means clearing the way for God to come and to, and to show Himself and to reveal Himself, which means you need to deal with the sin that is blocking that relationship with God. You need to repent and turn from your sin and wait patiently for the salvation that God will provide and is only going to come through Jesus the Messiah. Your God is faithful. He will deliver and He will save His people. So we, let's think about it this way. God, in His grace, 
And in his mercy, through the work of the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability and the capacity to believe the gospel. Before Christ, we're in the wilderness. There's hills, there's valleys, the terrain is rough, it's crooked, it's desolate, it's cursed. But God, in His grace, through the work of the Holy Spirit, removes the obstacles of our rebellion, of our cold, dead, unbelieving hearts to hear Him and see Him and believe in the salvation that He provides through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's what He does. Isn't that amazing? what our God does. It's what He does. It's what He did in my life. Right? And, and so when we, when we understand that, why aren't we pursuing forgiveness? Why, why aren't we repenting of our sin? Right? And that's the call. Why don't we, like, like Hebrew, Hebrews 12, right? So when we, when we come to that realization of where we were and what God did to get us from where we were to where we are now as His child saved by grace, from that point forward, we're to be daily laying aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. As we run this race, we must focus our eyes on Jesus, who is the, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I hope that helps. You see why I couldn't just, we can't breeze over this. Because right, you see the ministry of John, but then you see its fulfillment in Christ, and you see the faithfulness and the love and the compassion of our God. That we are sinners saved by grace, and that we must do the work of dealing with our sin each and every day of our lives, and that shows that we understand that we are sinners saved by grace, by the power of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.